Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kichanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah, ve'ha'arevna Adonai, Eloheinu et divrei Torateka b'finu ufi, amka b'it Yisrael, v'niye anaknu v'zetzeinu v'zetzei amka b'it Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka ve'lom de Torateka lishma, Baruch atah Adonai, hamla met Torah le'amo Yisrael. Kilishuateka kiviti Hashem, Barukabab Hashem Aronai Hakadosh Baruku, please send Mashiach now and may you reveal the final Geula to the whole entire world. Kenya Hiratsom. Want to welcome you to a new Sefer of Torah. This is Parsha Bumibar. Shouts out to the Chavengers, whose parshot or whose parsha, Slika, is this week, and that is none other than the incredible Professor Talmud. That is the incredible Talmud, aka Mikael. Shouts out to the homeboy, homeboy. And I want to shout out to one of our new Chavengers, Kola, our Chavenger Storm. So shouts out to her. Um, Let's see, Feliz Cumpleaños, and uh, uh, I forget what language that is I'm supposed to be speaking. So, yes, but in that language, however you say, Mazel Tov, get you some, happy birthday, happy Parsha, that's what I want to say to you. So, Parsha Sameach, there you go, uh, to both of my fellow Avengers, y'all crazy violent peoples. Uh, to everybody else, hope y'all are doing well, and I want to thank you for joining me today. So, this is a new series I wanted to call Let It Go, Turn It Loose, and PSI, which is, um, what did I call it? Oh, Please Source It. So, that is uh, all the names that I want to call this series. Not really sure how I'm going to put this, but uh, yeah, I'm going to just go with the Parshot Crazy title. So, uh, you know, with these, these tour portions that are coming up in Bami Bar, it's absolutely, this probably has to be my favorite book of Torah. I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. It's my favorite book of Torah. Why? Because every single Torah portion is ridiculous. I mean, come on, man. This week we're looking at the gifts of the spirit. Okay. So I have on my anchor podcast, I will repost it this week, but Listen, y'all, Shavuot a few years ago, I got to do a drosh. Like, Captain Yisrael was totally like, yeah, go ahead, Shomer, man, go light it up. And I'm like, man, you ain't got to ask me to light it up. I'm ready. Like, you know, and I was fired up. Dr. Sakal was hooking me up with sources. This was when he first got his superpower. So, you know, he was going off. He's still going off. He's He's doing spaceship drops on me right now. So, I'm not even able to share, really, Dr. Sakal drops right now because it's like, I don't even know where to start. Like, how are you going to share a whole spaceship, man? Like, what's the deal? And him and I go back and forth about this, but I'm like, dude, you, like, took Thanos' ship and just, like, you hijacked it. You kicked everybody out. You took his ship. And now we think Thanos is coming, but it's like, no, it's just Dr. Sakal. So anyway, uh, we went through the whole book of Job. Yeah, that's right. The whole book of Job with insights. And so, obviously, that's barely scratching the surface because how long is the book of Job? 
I know. This guy's like, three weeks, book a job? Sure. Now, he just decides, oh, let's go ahead and start in the Chronicles. I'm like, bro, will you calm down? Like, what's wrong with you? So, anyway, if anybody needs notes or insights on that, we got them. So, uh, yeah, so you don't have to have the uh, Source's Hatred no more. Uh, If you don't have those books, Dr. Sakal has a spaceship full of stuff on Job. So, I posted one little snippet uh, on the MeWe, uh, which is a new social app. So, if anyone has ability to get on there, uh, it's going down like like basement up and over there up over there so anyway so i mean just some stuff that's going on so as i'm trying to think about what in the world to do for bombing bar like on please source it i mean i i like to consider myself a person who likes to take tabs on sources and share them and and do that but i'm quickly like in a spot of i i don't have enough time anymore to source stuff out like as far as codifying it, because I used to be like, all right, what was that source? Boom, got it. Write it down. Like, it's stored. I've done that so much now that I don't even remember where my notes are. Just today, I was, uh, I had the privilege of hanging out with Zipporah Aish and her husband, Dr. Moggin, and we. I, want, I wanted to share something with them that I'm getting ready to share, Bezrat Hashem, on today's episode of Boomy Bar. And I was like, man, I took all these notes on it, and I'm gonna da 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 da. And I was like, okay, and where did I put it? Um, hmm. And you know that thing where you can like do screenshots and stuff. Well, I literally have so many screenshots. It's like I took a screenshot of it, but going through ten thousand pictures. Yes, I literally mean ten thousand. I mean, let me see. I'm gonna give you a real time. What's in my? Not that you really want to know. I have 5,463 pictures of sources. One or two of them literally might be pictures of human beings, like my wife, myself, our cat, or uh, somebody from synagogue, you know, not, not random people, obviously, but like people we're close with that we took a picture with. Oh, here's a picture. No, that's a picture of the manger. Never mind. Someone took a picture of the manger that Yeshua was born in because over in Israel, the mangers are made out of stone. They're not made out of wood. So I thought that was going to be a picture of some of us chilling around something that's our shalom, but it's not. Oh, look, I took a picture of a cup of wine. Oh, celebrating Hanukkah. Look at this guy. Okay, so maybe I do have a few real pictures, but I'm just saying 5,400 pictures and I'm supposed to search for my sources. Okay, but anyway, so I thought I was being all fancy and like sourcing everything out. And I do have a wonderful file share system that uh, Ish Pela and I, with the help of Hashem, have built called Magin. And, uh, you know, it's supposed to be the equivalent of Shield. You know, like the Avengers have Shield, we have Magin for the Avengers. But anyway, uh, and it was like, you know, that was great to get everything all done. But I mean, once you start having so many like, First of all, so many other Avengers that are just losing their minds, going crazy. I mean, I don't even know what to do anymore. So I'm just kind of like, well, if I can catch it, I'll try. Uh, Bezrat Hashem, I can just remember. And, you know, now I'm just going to have to start citing Avengers who dropped it. You know, Ishpela said, da 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 da. He was reading some book. Uh, Incredible Talmud dropkicked somebody in the face with this insight. 
from some book he was reading. Captain Israel was talking about something from Rabbi Monk. Because you can guarantee Captain Israel is going to be talking about Rabbi Monk. So if it's not Rabbi Monk, I mean, it's going to be Keher Tumash. It may be Rabbeinu Bakya. It may be Akida Yitzhak. But, you know, you can't go wrong, usually, if you're quoting Rabbi Monk. So anyway, uh, but yeah, or Mayim Loez. I mean, I mean, it's just kind of like take your pick. But, I mean, it's literally gotten to that point. I took so many pictures. Let me just give you a rundown, shall we? Okay, because I've, I've talked enough, right? So it's been eight minutes, and I haven't even shared one point from this week's Parashah. So first of all, I have a coworker who is the Shummer version of the Ninja Gaiden character. That's right. We have Ninja Gaiden uh, as one of our Avengers. Uh, so his name is Levi Yahoo. That's right. He is... I, I think he's a Levite. I'm not. I'm obviously no judge on that because Hashem is the one who determines who's the Levites because we're kind of all in exile and not everybody has their lineage. But apparently the Cohens and the Levites do. So, but what about those of us who don't, right? And yet, in at the latter portion of Yeshiyahu's prophecy, he teaches that Hashem is going to take Levites and Kohanim from the nation. So, really. When it comes down to the real deal, holy feel, if you will, uh, when that's all revealed, yet and still, if you catch that spill, you know the drill. Anyway, um, but yes, yeah, so all that's going to happen where it's just like, oh, I didn't know I was a Cohen. Okay. Hope I hope I was studying the Torah portions. And then, oh, I didn't know I was a Levite. But anyway, this guy, I feel like he's a Levite. He's a guitarist, plays bass. He's, uh, he loves music and he's, Hashem has given him some serious ninja skills on catching stuff. So I love playing fruit ninja with him every day because as I'm studying the tour portions, I like throwing stuff at him and he like slice it up real quick. And I'm like, could you let me throw it at you first? And he's like, no, man, I got, I ain't going to get my suit dirty for you. And I'm like, okay. So anyway, here's the deal. I started, um, uh, Okay, so we're just doing a discussion. And okay, so starting at 6.41 p.m., completing at 7.16 p.m. Okay, so we're looking at what? About 30 plus minutes, right? Less than 35 minutes. Here's what we got. This is an example of how fast everything's been flying. So this is from Ish Pela, uh, sharing from the Art Scroll Tanakh series on Mishle. I actually remember this book. This is fresh in the mind, so thank you, Hashem, for that. He's uh, looking at Mishle chapter 8 and verse 32. What does that verse say? I'm glad you asked. It says, and now, children... Listen to me. Praiseworthy are those who heed my ways. And now, children, listen to me. Okay, so it says, Since I, wisdom, am such or am of such vital importance, it is only fitting that you should listen to me. And those who heed my ways are fortunate. Cited by the Mizzuto. Going on to say, Children refers to the Jewish people who are called God's children. Devarim 14.1, Deuteronomy 
14 1. Praiseworthy are those who heed my ways refers to both Jews who observe the Torah's commandments and say and and to non Jews, aka Goyim, Greeks, Romans, Corinthians, fill in blank. Okay, those people as well who follow the moral and ethical teachings of Torah. Let's repeat that again. Praiseworthy are those who heed my ways. Speaking of God's children refers to Jews who observe the Torah's commandments and to non-Jews who follow the moral and ethical teachings of the Torah. So that's from Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz. Okay. Now, with that being the first thing out the gate, I quickly sent to uh, Yeshiyahu another drop from Ishpela back to back. Tehillim 80 verse 16 that says, And the son whom you've taken for yourself. Okay. And it says, Ve'al ben imatta lak. You know, like who a capable woman who can find, an Eshazkayu who can find, Miyim Sa. Okay, so who can find, who can acquire. Yeah, so Hashem is saying, well, I've acquired a son. And who is that son? It says, according to the Metzudot, the Jewish nation. According to Meri, it is whom God adopted with his covenant. So those who are adopted by the covenant of Hashem are the Jewish people who are called the son of God. And then according to Radak, but now has abandoned. So as we've gone into exile, Hashem says, I'm with you. And it's just like, but we're, we have this sense of being abandoned because it's like, we have no temple. We have no place to lay our head. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man, the Jews, the Mashiach, because why? The Targum says this son is the Mashiach. So the Mashiach, those who feel abandoned, those who've been adopted by the covenant, and those who are the Jewish people, those are all called the son of God, who would be the children who heed the ways of the Torah, whether they're Jews or not. Okay, so I sent him all this, right? So now I go on to say, well, now if you look in Avodah Zarah 3a, the Gemara asks, yes, I I just straight up sent him a Gemara. I was like, you're going to learn Mizuto, you're going to learn uh, Radak and Targum, and now you're going to get you some Talmud in there. <laughs> like, this guy, I'm telling you, he's he, Leviyahu. Okay, anyway, so it says, and are they not rewarded for fulfilling those mitzvot? But isn't it taught in a Bereta that Rabbi Mayer, by the way, Rabbi Mayer is a Tana, so stand by, remember Tana, okay? And for the sake of uh, our crazy names, we're going to call them Katanas, okay? Like a sword that's ridiculous. Got to get myself one of those. I love Katanas. They are so amazing. But anyway, Tana, 
uh, we'll, again, we'll get into that in just a second. Bezrat Hashem. Okay. So Rabbi Meir would say, Rabbi Meir was a convert. He was also in the lineage of Esau. And who else is in the lineage of Esau? I don't know. People like Amalek and Haman. Just a few people like that. Uh, but who else came from Esau? Oh, yeah. Rabbi Meir, uh, Ankylos, and a little known prophet by the name of Ovadia, Obadiah. Literally, a person who has a book in the Bible. So, you know, people who are feeling like, oh, well, I grew up in church. My parents were church. My granddaddy was church. We're just going to stay in church and we're going to just love the Lord. We're just going to be lawless people, you know, but we're just going to love God with all our heart, with all our soul and all our strength. Kind of. Because, you know, you realize it's impossible to love God. It's impossible to please God without holiness, without purity, without covenant, without being founded in his truth. You know, it's kind of like saying, girl, I love you, but let me smack you real quick. Like, why are you going to tell your I mean, what lady really who cares about herself is going to stay in, you know, such a situation? You know, uh, victims who get abused and things like that. I mean, what happens in those situations? Right. So as unfortunate as those things are, you know, and may Hashem right now, Hashem, anyone who's in situations like that, may you bring forth Yeshua for them right now. Deliverance. I mean, so can you hear our song? So if you really think about as crazy and as destructive and as abusive that relationship is, that's exactly what is going on in the world today by a majority amount of believers who say, yeah, I love God, but yet they treat him like whatever. And Hashem allows that because everybody has sins, right? He who says he's without sin, you're supposed to call that person a liar. So obviously there's that, but it's on a whole nother level when you outright say, yeah, God, I know what you want, but I ain't giving you that. I'm going to give you what I want. And by the way, I just want you to know I love you. I mean, seriously, is that what we're up to? But anyway, uh, so all that to say, Rabbi Mayer comes from the house of people who do that. So to think that if you ever feel like, oh, well, I just need to be a good Christian. I want to go to heaven and all that kind of stuff. Ain't trying to deal with conversion. I'm not trying to deal with following Halakha. I'm not trying to deal with getting into observance and becoming Jewish and dealing with this conversion stuff. I'll be a righteous Gentile. I'll be a Gertoshav. I'll be a Noahide. I'll be whatever, you know, that's not making me in covenant with Hashem. Well, congratulations on not being a son. Congratulations on finding yourself outside the proverbial gates of Shemaim, the new Jerusalem. Uh, and, uh, you know, that that's the kind of stuff. And you'd be the opposite of Rabbi Meir, by the way. Anyway, so if Rabbi Meir could do it, we could do it. Onkelos could do it, we could do it. Uh, Titus, by the way, uh, his he's connected to Onkelos some kind of way. Don't remember off the top of my head, but... Titus was a very, very shrewd guy uh, from the Roman legions, but apparently one of his family members, which I believe is Onkelos, uh, some kind of way they were related and connected. So for those of you out there who know that, boom, uh, Mazal Tov to you, high five and stuff. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so even with all that being the case, he still converted. Oh, and let's not forget for our Yom Kippur Katan peoples who have that Yom Kippur Katan uh, prayer service. At the beginning, in the preface, it has the story of Nebuzadran, 
who was in the legions of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians who came in and destroyed the temple. Yeah, Nebuzadran converted, okay, straight out of Babylon. I'm coming straight out of Babylon. I'm about to put my keeper on. I'm about to do mitzvot in Shalom. Yeah, this is how it's done. Uh, because I be living for the want. Okay, anyway, trying to get back into rap. So these come out, you know, uh, I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not. I got to get back to doing what I'm supposed to do. But anyway, I uh, just want to point out, you know, people come from non-Jewish lineages all the time. And they they get in here and they, they throw down. And uh, yeah, so anyway, Rabbi Meir would say, from where is it derived that even a Gentile who engages, even a non-Jew who engages in Torah study is considered like a high priest, like a Kohen Haggadol. Basically, like Aharon. Where is that derived from? It says the verse states, Vayikra 18.5, Leviticus 18.5. What does it say? You shall therefore keep my statutes, my ordinances, which if a person, say person, person. Let's go ahead and look that verse up real quick. Leviticus 18.5, what you got? Because I want get to get the Hebrew down. So therefore, whenever you see this word, know that's what that means. Ha-a-dum. So, it says, Asher ya'ase otam ha-a-dum. A man. Like a person who's made from the dust of the earth. Okay? And Adam is one of the highest levels that you could be referred to as in Judaism, by the way, because uh, Adam is a person who has actually worked towards refining themselves. Like they're not just led by their own lust and their own emotions and animalistic in their mentality and their psyche. This is a person who has dignity and respect for themselves so this is not just a random person who just kind of like, uh, you know, whatever you want to think about as far as people who fit those categories. So whether or not you're Jewish and you're this person who comes and you bring yourself to the Torah, if you're that kind of person, you're considered like a Kohen Haggadol is the is the parent because you're a person who keeps the statutes the ordinances, which if a person does, which if a person do, shall live by them. So if you engage in Torah study, which if you're going to study the Torah, you should do it because it would be like, yeah, I know what the law says, but I'm not going to do what the law says, which obviously, if you understand being a law abiding citizen, that's a problem. It's like, so you're going to just break a law that you know that you shouldn't do? That's what happens when you engage in Torah study, by the way. It's like the Torah says don't do it. It's like, well, I studied it. I don't mean I have to do it. It's like, okay, well, I mean, yeah, you don't. Because behold, I said before you life and death. So I guess if you're, if you're wanting to be wages of sin, death person, then go ahead. But if you have understanding of what you just studied, 
which, you know, I don't know how you couldn't, but okay. There's that. So anyway, it just says, you know, if a person, if a, if a dom, if a person who's literally made of dust and water, like, like human being, because the word Adam also means human being, you know, right? So just, just want to point that out. And humans are very different from animals because there are people who live like animals and that's unfortunate. So that's a whole nother topic, but we're just saying human beings who come and engage in the study of Torah, they're likened to the Kohen Haggadol. And that's brought down as a question from Rabbi Mayer. And he's just like, yeah, um, Vayikra 18.5. So Kedoshim stuff, uh, Sleka, uh, Akari Mot stuff. Kedoshim actually starts in chapter 19. So just double check myself on that. Uh, Parsha, Haremot, and Kedoshim are usually read together, so they kind of filter over into one another. Yes, but eighteen five is yes is Parsha, Haremot, Baruch Hashem. Okay, so now goes on in Avodazera, Avodazera three A. I thought I said two A earlier, so let's make that clear. Avodazera three A says is it is not stated. Priests, Levites, Israelites, which, by the way, those are the categories of Jews. If you're a Jewish person, you're either a Kohen, which is a priest, or a Levi, which is a Levite, or an Israelite, which is a Hebrew or Jew. Okay, you're one of those three categories. So it says, but rather the general term person, that's what's used in that verse. From here, you learn that even a Gentile who engages in the study of Torah is like a Kohen Haggadol. This demonstrates that Gentiles, non-Jews, are rewarded for fulfilling mitzvot despite the fact they are not commanded to do so. Avodazera 3a, going in, like between M and O. O, you didn't know? Okay, anyway, so that, right? And then I said, okay, so Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is either slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all echad in Mashiach Yeshua. And who is Mashiach Yeshua? Yes, it is the Torah, the commandments of Adonai, the wisdom of Hashem, the Son of God. So when you're in Mashiach, all of that goes away. You're, you're, you're in the sun now. You're in, you're in Hashem. And so you've been adopted. You're with him, all that. So you don't get to be like, oh, you know, you're this and I'm that and all that. You're, you're brought into a unity, you know? And so telling people yeah don't don't observe the torah be a noah hide you're keeping people separated from hashem basically is what it boils down to so that's one thing so i shared that all with him and i said so also romans eight fourteen, for all who are led by the ruach elohim the spirit of god which is what is the spirit of god the torah so mashiach yeshua is the torah 
The spirit of Hashem is the Torah, and the word of God is the Torah. Okay? So all who are led by that, these are called sons of God, i.e. people who heed the ways of Hashem, who walk in the statutes, who keep the ordinances, which are leadings. Okay? These things lead us. And remember, in Bereshit 1, verse 2, what does it say? The spirit of Hashem hovered over the water. Ruach Elohim made a chefet. Okay? And it says in the commentary, uh, specifically in Rashi, that Ruach Elohim is known as the spirit of Mashiach. So please source it. Okay, PSI, coming down, bear sheet one, two, opening up Rashi, here we go, Ruach Elohim says, the throne of divine glory was standing in space, hovering over the face of the waters by the breath of the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be he, and by his command, even as a dove hovers over its nest, my bad. So Rashi wasn't the one who said it was the spirit of Mashiach. Rashi was the one who said that the spirit was hovering like a dove over the deep. And this it was the throne of glory suspended on the breath of Hashem. So take that back to when Mashiach was immersed in a mikvah and the spirit descended upon him like a dove. We have a Bereshit 1-2 connection. A Genesis 1 2. Who was the one who said it was Mashiach? So let's go ahead and look. Looky, look, look. Uh, Spirit of God. Okay, Ibn Ezra. It is juxtaposed Spirit with name of God. You know, like Ruach, Spirit, Elohim, that's the name of God. Since it was an agent regarding the divine will to the dry land. Water is plural form with no singular. And both of them are in dual construction for they are both masculine and feminine, yet it is found with a singular. Was not thrown Zorak upon him. Uh, so singular verb. And that is from Bobby Bar 1913. The meaning of hovering, it says, blowing above the water and likewise over its hatchlings does it hover. Devarim 32.11. So we got this whole idea of breath, blowing, dove, breath of Hashem, agent of Hashem, hovering over the water, Mashiach walking on the water. It's a picture of that. And I know somebody talked about that being the spirit of Mashiach. There it is. Baha Turing. All right. PSI accomplished. Also, personal search investigator. That's that's another acronym of PSI. So please source it and be a personal search investigator. I like searching out uh, sources, by the way. My goodness, man. Ruach Elohim Merakhefet. Ve Ruach Elohim Merakhefet. Sika. Says that the gematria of that is this is the spirit of Mashiach. 
Wow. That that's just powerful. And the other thing, you look at the last letter of that of each of those uh, words: ruach or veruach, Elohim, merachefet. You have a chet, a mem, and a tav. Rearrange those to chet, tav, mem. You get the word chotam, which is seal. So we have a seal of Hashem, right? So by the way, that was the end of my little commentary with Yeshayahu with the Romans drop. And then I'm now expounding up on the spirit of Hashem uh, and the seal. Because Neryar Roke, who is our Shomer version of Green Lantern, was reading something. He said, this is a small gem from Derech Hashem to consider as we step back into the week. So he's on his Musar game. And it says this, let's pick up right here for even the most of, for even though most of the days of the cycle would be mundane and only one seventh would be holy, which as mentioned is all the holiness that is necessary. <laughs> That's amazing. Still being the holy component is the cycles last component. And serves as a seal on the cycle. Okay, so we're looking at the Spirit of Hashem being a seal on creation. Because the Spirit of Hashem hovered over the waters. And once that was opened up, then creation was opened up, right? Okay, so the seal on the cycle of our week is basically what infuses holiness into every single one of our days. So all seven days of our week can be considered holy days. If they're covered by the seal of the Shabbat. So it goes on to say the result is that the holy component, which is the Shabbat, rectifies and uplifts the prior days of the cycle so that in the end, all of man's days are made holy. So now we have Surfer Zoreach. The Silver Surfer Avenger comes in and was like, nice, thumbs up, thumbs up, and thumbs up. <laughs> and he goes, it's like when, I don't know, God looked at creation, looked at his creation on the seventh day and declared the whole thing good. It was on slash in that day's merit. So all of creation was called good because of the final seal put on creation. So how does this connect to the Chotam? Because Chotam, again, is the word for seal. So we're looking at the first and the last, the Aleph and the Tav of the seven days, began with the spirit of Hashem, who is the spirit of Mashiach. And then we have the Shabbat. And because of the Shabbat, all the creation was called good and in the merit of the shabbat all seven days totally totally good behold it is very good and what brought the possibility of the seven days of the week none other than the aleph the spirit of mashiach the light of the torah that shone forth into the darkness which by the way is verse three hashem said let there be light so through the Mashiach, all the way to the Shabbat, 
and backtrack in between the two, we have sanctification, good, and an uplifting and everything that's going on. So Mashiach says, I am the Lord of the Shabbat. So the merit of the Shabbat comes from the Mashiach so that when we go into Shabbat, our Shabbat gives merit to our week, which is all coming from Mashiach. So in other words, even the merit that we get from the mitzvot, because Shabbat equals the mitzvot, literally if a person keeps Shabbat, it's considered as if they've kept the whole entire Torah. So that's all found in the Mashiach. So the reason we get any merits is through the spirit of Hashem, which is the Mashiach. So... See if I can uh, do this here. Yeah, Ramban on Bereshit 26.5. And it says, Shabbat, because it is equal to the whole entire Torah, since it testifies to the story of creation. Sha'arei Teshuvah 3, section 142 from the Safaria 2020 edition says, and our rabbis, may their memory be blessed, also said that one who worships idolatry or publicly profanes the Shabbat is one who denies the whole entire Torah. So, how many people today profane publicly the Shabbat and because they do so, they literally, what does it say? Deny the whole entire Torah. The very people who don't keep Shabbat today and are very adamant about not keeping Shabbat are people who deny the Torah. They say, oh, the law is done away with. Oh, you don't want to be under the yoke of the law. You know, throw that old yoke away. Get rid of that yoke of slavery. You know, uh, the Old Testament, you know, yeah, I know. It's ridiculous, isn't it? So anyway, you deny Shabbat, you deny Torah, you deny Mashiach, ultimately. Because those same people who who say that they believe in the Mashiach, but yet they deny the Shabbat. Again, remember, Ruach Elohim, Spirit of Mashiach, throne of glory, suspended on the breath of Hashem, is what gives merit to the Shabbat. So therefore, if you take out the Shabbat, you're actually throwing shots back at what brought forth the Shabbat, which is Hashem. Shabbat, by the way, is a name of Hashem. So, okay, so now we're going to pierce the name of Hashem. We're going to blaspheme Hashem. We're going to get rid of the Shabbat. We're going to deny the whole Torah, which, by the way, we learned from Parsha Kedoshim. The whole Torah is the name of Hashem. And then, if that wasn't enough, Shabbat Pink is followed back up on that with Lagba Omer drops that the whole Torah, black, black fire on white fire, is the names of Hashem. Anyway, all that was given to Moshe, and then it came down in sapphire tablet form. So, yeah. Who's denying Mashiach ultimately? Just think about that for a second. Is this why the name Jesus Christ is allowed to be plastered everywhere and made t-shirts out of? Because it's like, yeah, this is my Messiah. But yet you say the Torah is a yoke of slavery. Nobody needs to keep the Shabbat. The law is done away with. And not only that, the very 
testimony of creation is actually called a yoke of bondage. So let's just say, who's really denying the Mashiach? I mean, isn't it kind of weird to say I believe in Mashiach, but yet to deny him? Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, okay, so you're in a marriage, right? So let's just let's just think about this for a second. It's interesting how I always use marriage relationships to really uh, portray these thoughts because, I don't know, it's something like being in marriage with Hashem or something, which is being in covenant. If you can't understand marriage here, you can't understand covenant with Hashem. So, I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, so why is it so important that Hashem made Adam and Hava and caused those two to become one flesh? Like, why is that such a thing? Because that's the ultimate uh, relationship that that cleaving and that attaching to one another becoming one which is why we're supposed to be echad with hashem but anyway i continue to digress on digressing about digressing which is if you are in your relationship right and you're in covenant you told this person i love you very much let's put our name in the ketubah i like it so i put a ring on it okay go your whole entire relationship however long it's allowed to last because based off of what i'm about to say i don't see how this could work you're gonna call your significant other that you're in covenant with by a name that does not apply to them so uh let's see here um give me a good jewish name all right so um I don't know why I'm blanking on a good Jewish name. Okay, Shimeon. Shimeon is in a relationship with another good woman Jewish name. Uh, Miriam. There we go. Shimeon and Miriam are in a beautiful relationship. So we say. But Shimeon calls Miriam Mary. And Miriam calls Shimon Bob. So it's like, okay, Shimeon and Miriam are the names in the ketubah. Shimeon ben so and so is with Miriam, daughter of so and so. Miriam bought so and so. Okay? But yet, neither one of them go by those names. They call each other other names that have nothing to do with who they actually are. Miriam never said her name was Mary. But Shimeon's over here like, Psh, girl, I, I love Mary. You know, like, I know your I guess your name, uh, it, your name could be Miriam. I mean, you've said that. I mean, all sources point to your name being Miriam. But I like Mary. Mary's a wonderful name. And by the way, what do you, what are you into, Mary? Mary's like, um, excuse me, my name is Miriam and I'm an Eshes Chayil. And why weren't you at the Shabbat table? You know, Shimeon's like, Psh, girl, what you talking about? I don't want to do no Shabbat. No Eshes Chayil. You want me to pray for you? Psh, I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to do no Eshes Chayil brachas over you. That's literally how awkward it is for people to call Yeshua HaMashiach. Melech Yisrael, Ben Ha Elohim, Jesus Christ. When people call him that, they call him that, 
and they deny the whole Torah and they deny the whole Shabbat and they put themselves in idolatry and worshiping idols and publicly profaning the Shabbat and blaspheming the name of Hashem. That's got to be in the top 10 somewhere. I'm just saying. So, all that, just from talking about the spirit of Hashem hovers over the waters. Wow. Did not mean to go into all that to begin Parashah Bumi Bar. But like I said, I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, I I had him in, in mind to uh, stay on topic and stay focused and do all that. But uh, that's not how I roll. So, Bezrat Hashem something comes out of this and that everyone can learn. So here's where I want to go with everything. I want to go back to the Tanaim drop, the Katanas. Okay. That, uh, let's see here. Boom. Got this. We can do this. Side note, the encyclopedia Judaica is available via ebook oh man i'm about to get that but not during this podcast um (laughs) real time flying y'all okay so cyclopedia judaica is available over over here nope not right there there you go. All right. And I'm going to type in Tana. Okay. And when I click on Tana, it says, see Tana in and Amorim. So Tana. Okay. This is derived from Aramaic, which is Tani or Tana, which means to teach and designates in general, a teacher of the oral law, the rabbi stuff, the Talmud stuff, the Midrash stuff. Okay? So, Atana is a teacher of that, and in particular, one of the sages of the Mishnah. Those teachers of the oral law whose teachings are contained in the Mishnah and the Bereta. So we don't have Tanaim today. As many of us as try to teach the old Torah. And we do a good job, I think. I think, I know Captain Israel does a great job. And the, the Zekanim, the Beit Dim, you know, and um, Mikael and the incredible talent and uh, the amazing Hazan, you know, obviously I'd like to think I do okay, but who am I? Whatever. So, yeah, but we're not Tanaim though, because we're not codified in the Talmud. But we definitely repeat what they say. I mean, we just read one of Vodazera 3A, Rabbi Mayer. Rabbi Mayer is a Katana. Now, Goes on to say, he's not a katana, he's actually a tana. So, oh, okay, okay. So, k, k, kaf, in Hebrew, 
is how you say like or as. So if you literally say katana, you're like, like katana. Katana, you are like katana. Anyway, uh, just a little Hebrew drop for us. So katanaim, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so it says this term was first used in the Gemara to indicate a teacher mentioned in the Mishnah or in a Bereta in contradistinction, that's a big word, to the later authorities known as the Amarim. So if you hear about Amarim and Tanaim, Tanaim came first, Amarim came after. Says not all the teachers of the oral law who are mentioned in the Mishnah are called Tanaim, however, but only those belonging to the period beginning with the Talmudim of Shammai and Hillel and ending with the contemporaries of Yehuda Hanasi the first. So the disciples of Shammai and Hillel and all the way up to Yehuda Hanasi. So only those in this period. Now let's check out when this period was. All right. So let me go. Let me get Yehuda Hanasi first. Um, because they break down Yehuda Hanasi. I mean, they break down Sleekah. They break down all the uh, the time frame of the Tanaim. Yehuda Hanasi, it says, this generation belonged to the contemporaries and disciples of Yehuda Hanasi. That is the sixth generation of the Tanaim. That is in 220 CE. They're mentioned in the Tosefta, the Bereta, but they're not in the Mishnah. Names like Polemo, Isi ben Yehuda, Eleazar ben Yossi, uh, Yishmael ben Yossi, Yehuda ben Lakish, Hia, Aha and Abba, which is Arika. These teachers are termed semi-Tanaim, and therefore some scholars count only five generations of Tanaim. Christian scholars, oh, Encyclopedia Judaica, by the way, is what I'm in, right? says Christian scholars, moreover, count only four generations, reckoning the second and third one as, I don't even know how you even say that, Strak, which is Ain Letung in Den Talmud. Okay, really? So, anyway, Christian scholars want to cut short the time period of the Tanaim, and then they want to be like, well, we'll just put the second and third generations together. So, even though the Tanaic period technically extends to the 200s, they're like, you know what? Actually, uh, we'll get rid of that and we'll bring it all the way back to uh, 120 CE. Maybe we'll let it go to 140 because the second and third generation span from 80 CE, which is 10 years after the destruction of the temple, to 140 CE. That's the second and third generation. So Christianity was like, yeah. We're going to get rid of all that other stuff, and we're just going to call it, you know, those are your Tanaim, they end it right there. So literally from 140 CE, which is about the time of the death of Rabbi Akiva, okay, and then um, it says the teacher belonging to these generations was Rabbi Meir. 
Okay, again, we just read that. Shimeon Bar Yochai, Yehuda Ben Eli, Yossi Ben Halafta, Eleazar Ben Shamua, Yohanan Ha Sandala, Eleazar Ben Yaakov, Nehemiah, Yehoshe Ben Karha, and the above mentioned Shimeon Ben Gamliel. Those are some of the, the hot point names in there. Okay. So from those people all the way down to Yehuda Hanasi the first 200 CE and then the disciples of Yehuda Hanasi to 220 it's like Christianity just comes in and takes a big old scoop out of the Tanaic period and was like yeah that don't exist because why what happened that's the rise of Christianity all the church fathers the Ignatius the Chrysosoms whoever polycarps and all that kind of stuff that's when they began to rear their little heads up and then obviously you got constantine who gave the cross who gave you know let's go ahead and uh, do catholicism universalism let's take paganism fuse it with the word of god and uh, let's have marcion come in even though we don't like him but marcion had a good idea he said hey let's split the bible in the new testament and the old testament because there's two different gods god is not angry and wrathful anymore he's all peace and loving and hippie like uh so why don't we go ahead and do that and here's a bunch of paul's letters because that's really all i i was interested in keeping uh, for records and you can know uh, we can just go ahead and put that in the new testament so the new testament can be mostly paul and then we'll sprinkle some super jewish writings in there and uh by the way paul's writings are jewish but we're going to call it christian because he's really the father of the christian church and that's how we're going to do because we need to get rid of these tanaim these silly jews who reject the the messiah and they call him yeshua and then they don't even like him so why don't we just change his name anyway? They don't like it. They don't care about it. They don't want him, you know. And the followers of Yeshua were disenfranchised anyway. And, you know, they're all dying out by Rome. So, you know, it's it's all good. And here we go having this whole branch off of 2,000 years of nonsense. Because we got COVID-19 in the world. We had all sorts of pandemics before this, swine flu, uh, stuff like that went on, Y2K stuff. Uh, I mean, what what else? I mean, you know, and then not to mention the Holocaust, which, by the way, use Christian writings to to do their stuff. And then you got um, church father writings. That's, that's what kind of Christian stuff I'm talking about. And so when you really look at what we're getting okay and to go back even more we got inquisitions we got crusades all right all that kind of stuff has been going on christian writings are not the letters of paul not the letters of peter not the letters of james not the letters of jude not the apocalypse of yokanon i.e known as revelation peter had an apocalypse book too but no one went and codified that. Or if they did, they didn't put it in the New Testament. And by the way, it's called the New Testament. And that's not even a proper term because people say New Testament equals New Covenant. Well, Testament and Covenant are two totally different things. And in order for you to know what the New Covenant is, you got to go back to Jeremiah. So there's that. And if a prophet is prophesying something, he's probably not going to prophesy something Christian. Because, again, Christianity is this scoop out of Tanaim and let's go ahead and start doing some other stuff. 
that has nothing to do with the Torah has everything to do with getting rid of Shabbat, getting rid of festivals, getting rid of circumcision, that kind of stuff, right? So all this to say, I'm talking with Ish Pela and uh, Ish Milkama, which is Zakin Rayford, by the way. Shouts out to Zakin Rayford. So, Brugashem. So I'm talking to all these, well, I'm talking all these like there's a bunch of them, but they, I mean, they're like 10 men a piece. So I don't know. But anyway, that's how they throw down. They throw down like 10 men, <laughs> you know, five will chase a hundred and a hundred will chase 10,000, you know, anyway, Bakuko Thai stuff. So I'm talking to him. I'm like, okay. Each pay law is all saying like, man, you just read the mid Sometimes you're like, man, this is so Christian. And he's like, but it's not. We got to Like, why would we be thinking like that? Like, it's not Christian writing. Like, Christian writing is Amalek. And I'm like, yeah, because Amalek and Haman brought forth the church. Because what has always been their mission? Wipe out Judaism. Wipe out Torah. Wipe out observance. Wipe out conversion to Judaism and Torah. That's their whole goal. They're literally the people who would totally be a-okay in whatever country saying, yeah, don't call the Messiah by his real name. Psh, you don't want to really tap into the power and the illumination of Hashem. Call him by some other name that didn't exist until 400 years ago. And, and pretend like it always existed like that. Yeah, Amalek and Haman and Esau, like they're all about that. But not Obadiah, not Rabbi Meir, not Arnkelos. You know, they don't do that. So why why would anybody else? I mean, I don't know. It's weird, you know. People who call the Messiah by the name JC, they cannot fathom Torah. They cannot fathom mitzvot. That's the power of a name, people. If you can't call the Messiah by his real name, how are you going to get into his real identity? Again, Shimeon and Miriam over here calling each other by other names. How can they really have a real relationship with each other if they don't even know each other's name? Because remember, names in Hebrew mean something. And remember, the Messiah has the name of Hashem in him. So, therefore, when you change Messiah's name, you're taking shots at Hashem and saying, Hashem, I don't care what your name is. I'm going to call you wherever I want to call you. I don't know about you, but I don't feel comfortable with that. I distinctly remember at the part, at the end of the tour portion of Imor, somebody got stoned outside the camp for doing that. So, anyway, if you think about the Tanakh period which is this whole transition from you know the gospels the letters the the lives of the talmudim the apostles into this quote-unquote dark period of where did everything go and then all of a sudden council of nicaea and it's like full-blown let's go ahead and do this new thing now with god followers god fearers if you will and it's it's completely not Jewish. We we have a different day we worship on. By the way, there's no source that cancels Shabbat. 
And while I'm also thinking about it, calling the Messiah a name that was made up about 400 years ago is is got to be disconcerting at best because you're basing someone who is eternal off of a not eternal name. In other words, had it not been for the invention of the English language derived from the Latin, which derived a new letter called the J, the English letter came up with the letter J at some point, and now we can finally have Messiah's name in English. Which, him having the same name as another individual who is the type and shadow of the Messiah, i.e. Yehoshua ben Nun, which we call Yeshua ben Nun. He has the same name as the Mashiach, but yet we always call him Joshua. King James only called him Jesus like maybe once or twice. But other than that, he calls him Joshua. So, but when it comes to Messiah, though, no, we can't, no, we ain't calling him Joshua. We're going to call him something completely different. And by the way, there are no J's in Hebrew. So even that's something when you understand that when we call each other Jews or call people Jews, the real word is Yehudim. And when you start reading the definition of Yehudim, you finally realize, oh, these are the people of God. And why are they the people of God? It comes literally from the word hod, which means admitting, thanking, and praising God. And it also combines that with the word yada, which means throwing and casting, shooting, praise. So admitting and throwing up praises to God and being God praisers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that literally is the essence of Yehudim. So if you're if you're literally called a Yehudi, a Jew, which is the the loose English translation, when you get back into the Hebrew, you really understand that this is a person who is about Hashem. Slika. So I mean, it's just really weird when you get down to the actual reality versus what it's colloquially known as with this English language. So if you can do that to the Messiah, you can take out everything he means. So it's no wonder Shabbat's nullified. It's no wonder, you know, the New Testament is the thing and forget about the Old Testament. I mean, yeah, we can read it, but I mean, who wants to do that? You know, literally phrases of thank God we don't have to keep the Sabbath or thank God we don't have to do, you know, eat kosher. Like, that is, that is a Melek in Haman. I'm just going to throw it. I mean, that's really the deal. Another thing we were talking about is the church wants to say, Christianity wants to say, Rome wants to say, Western theology wants to say that the yoke of bondage is the Torah. That's probably the most blasphemous thing that you could ever say. Because the word of God says that it's freedom. 
Remember the whole thing about the engraving on the tablet, Harut? Like, engraving is actually Harut, which is freedom. Harut, and Slika, Harut is engraving. Herut is freedom, but they're the same word. So the engravings on the tablets is actually freedom on the tablets. Yaakov follows that up in chapter 1 saying, yeah, a person who is in the law is considered free. But yet, that's not what Amalek teaches. Amalek's like, no, that ain't freedom. You know what freedom is? Freedom is being outside the clouds of glory, not eating manna, not drinking from the water of the rock, not listening to the voice of Hashem, but listening to Pharaoh. One of our former Avengers was like so legit in like the research and everything. So I, I definitely missed this person. But they found that Rome and Greece actually goes all the way back to Egypt. Everything about these nations go back to Egypt. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, seriously? So, you know what? I'm going to see if I can pull up a clip. You know, uh, anyway, some of you may or may not know this person when you hear the voice, but, um, you know, I just, I just want for the sake of, of truth to share this, you know, that, we need truth. We need it. We need a lot of it. Where is my Hanukkah file? Where is my super suit? <laughs> Hanukkah. Okay. And it is an audio file. Here we go. Turn that volume up. Boom. Hit it. When we know that the Mashiach will be here when these kingdoms are aligned against Israel, I wanted to look at Greece. What is Greece? You know, because it just sort of appears like this is the big, this is the brilliance of of that time frame that the philosophers came from and all of the, um, you know, Western civilization and all of that. Okay, but where did it come from? It didn't just materialize out of thin air. No, when you study it, it came from Egypt. That they actually imported because they could get from Egypt to the island of Greece. And I can show you the website that I was studying as to, and they say that they don't want to give Egypt credit for that, that it was, it was kept separate and kept a secret because Africans are black, and so the white Greeks didn't want to show any kind of... So that it's a racial separation, wow. and it stayed as a cultural separation. But you can see thing after thing after yeah. thing on the islands of Greece that date back to the exact same kind of uh, ritual or stone or effigy or this or that or the other as Egypt. Yeah. The noise in the background was dishes getting done. Because that's how violent this Avenger is. Let me just do some dishes and kick you in the face real quick. Anyway. So yeah. So the reason I bring that up is because the gospel of grace that's taught today from people who don't keep the Shabbat or follow Torah. Which is kind of interesting. If there's a gospel apart from the Torah, how can it really be good news? Because is not the Torah good news? This whole thing about 
Hashem should wipe us out, but he says, you know what, I'm long-suffering, I forgive you. Here's a path of uh, restoration, reconciliation. Here's the way back to the tree of life. Here's renewal. Here's being born again. Here's resurrection. Here's freedom. Here's redemption. Here's salvation. Okay, so like all of that that I just said, right? So imagine throw all those things away and like say, here, take this good news. No Shabbat. No festivals. No circumcision. No immersing in a mikvah. No Yeshua, because Yeshua came from Torah, by the way. The only reason we know that we should believe in the Messiah is based off of stuff that the rabbis came up with from the Torah. But anyway, so yeah, no Messiah, no Shabbat, you know, no word of God, because really the Torah is the word of God, because the only reason Moses wrote it down is because Hashem said it. You realize that, right? Moses didn't just say, oh, well, there was nothing, and then there was the spirit of Hashem hovering over the water and then it was like it was dark everywhere and then all of a sudden it was like oh here's light and then all of a sudden here's land and all this kind of stuff to say that the Torah is done away with this is to say Moshe made all that stuff up and we don't need to listen to Hashem so anyway all that kind of stuff so is that really good news is it really good news right so Asaph, Amalek, Haman, all totally on the same page. And they're the ones who say, yeah, forget about the Torah, forget about the Shabbat, forget about the Messiah, you know, even though, okay, we can put a puppet head here. We can cut and paste. He's Messiah, but not really. I mean, like, you know, he doesn't lead people back to God and stuff. He leads people to, to go to Egypt. He leads people away from the clouds of glory. Did you know that was the original attack of Amalek is to get people from outside the cloud of glory so that they can actually castrate them and rape them and kill them? Which is exactly what uh, Ham did to Noach. You know, there's a lot of Midrash that's disturbing both ways. But either way, what Ham did to his father, which ultimately led in the father cursing him, his progeny anyway, because Ham couldn't be cursed, but his children could be. Which, by the way, is where Egypt comes from. Egypt descends from Ham, the third son of Noach, for crying out loud. So anyway, that's the group of people we're talking about here. And those are the ones who have a gospel for us. And they tell us the yoke of bondage is the Torah. Yet, Messiah and Matit Yahu chapter 11 what does he say? What does he say? Messiah has a yoke. What is the yoke of Messiah? Well, as Shavuot approaches, we're going to be given the opportunity to receive a yoke. And that's called the yoke of heaven, which is the yoke of Hashem's kingship, as we say in the Elenu, which is called the yoke of Torah. It's called Kabbalat Ol. Or if you want to be Ashkenazi, Kabbalah's old. Look that up, search it out, and get you some. Well, since I'm already doing this, I might as well search it out for us. But first, let's see what the Messiah says. Matit Yahu chapter 11, verse 27 says, what does it say? All things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows the son 
except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. So first of all, before we even get into our drop, Mashiach is letting us know you can't have one or the other. Either you have Hashem and his son, namely Hashem and the Mashiach, or you have nothing. Because you can't say, oh, I have the son of God, but not Hashem, because that's what people proclaim when they say, I have Jesus, but I don't do the law. That's like saying I have the son without the father. Because remember, the law came from Hashem. The law is Hashem manifest. The rabbis knew that. Hashem manifest is the Torah. The temple is Hashem manifest, is the image of Hashem. Adam, when he was first brought forth, Splitting image of Hashem, spitting image of Hashem, Slika. He literally looked exactly like Hashem in everything, in every aspect of what we're talking about. Like the way he acted, the way he carried himself, the knowledge he had, intimacy, all of that. That was Adam before we ate from the tree. Midrash Rabbah is all over it. I mean, it's ridiculous. Hashem had to cause a deep sleep to fall on Adam to let the angels know. That's not me. <laughs> I'm over here. That's not me over there. That's my son, but that's not me. You know, I know we look alike. I know. I get it. So, yeah, Midrash Rabbah on Zelim Elohim and the image of Hashem. I get you some of that. So, anyway, so Mashiach is letting us know, first of all, that's, that's what's up. So, then it says, anyone whom the son chooses to reveal him... So in order, for, in order for us to know the Son, we have to know the Father. And in order for us to know the Father, we have to know the Son. Wow. That's how legit that is. So here's where I pick up. Verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now. Think about this. You're spiritually exhausted. You're physically exhausted. Everything about you, you, just you can't take it anymore. Like, blessed is he who is poor in spirit because his is the kingdom of heaven. What did we just read about in Psalms just a couple of Torah portions ago? The kingdom of heaven is called the Torah. Okay, go back a couple of podcasts and you'll get that information. I know there's 16,000 of them to go through over the past two weeks, but they're in there. So here's the thing. That's the status, right? Mashiach is like, yeah, if you're if you're just so done, if you're just like, man, I can't take no more. I'm just, I can't, I'm just breaking down. I'm just, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. What does Mashiach say? He says, here, take my yoke. I'm going to go out on a really, 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 like really far reaching limb in my, in my Shomer man suit. And I'm going to, I'm going to stand on the tip of this limb and I'm just going to say, chances are the yoke that Mashiach is offering is probably not heavy. Unless you think Mashiach is like some kind of cruel person or something. Because what kind of famished, exhausted person you're going to say, hey, 
I know you're tired here. Put this on. And it just like, it completely collapses him. But that's how the law is taught by Amalek and Asaph and Haman, the church, Rome. They teach that the law is that. That's what Paul was talking about getting away from in Galatians chapter 5. Literally how they teach. That you got to get away from that yoke of bondage because Messiah has set us free. Mm, great job there. But terrible. <laughs> and I mean, fired up about it too. Just took took Shaul's insane drops from the Midrash about Yitzhak and Yishmael. Go right into a Pesach get you some point and it's like yeah he he wasn't talking about any of that he was actually talking about getting rid of the word of god denying the existence of hashem and if you can do that you're free i mean seriously that's the real message that's put out right now i'm telling you that that's what it is this is why stuff like, yeah, we're going to celebrate the birth of Messiah. December 25th, baby. All the way. Oh, we're going to celebrate Resurrection Day. Let's go hide some eggs. I'm telling you, that's Haman. That's Amalek. That's Esau. So, standing out on his limb still, because that's how long I can stand on it. Because it says, take my yoke up on you, learn from me, for I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke, say my yoke, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, put that with this. Go over here. It's probably Lakute Sukkot, but I'm going to give myself the benefit of a doubt. And we're going to look at probably something from the Rebbe. Who knows? Who's going to be first? Let's see. Kabbalat Ol. Acceptance of the yoke. Unequivocal commitment to God. Acceptance of the yoke. Total submission and subordination to the will of God. What is the will of God? I'm so glad you asked. That is called the Torah. So... Where do they get into it? Hmm. Accepting the Torah. Kabbalah Ol. Acceptance of the yoke equals accepting the Torah. So that's that's something. And this is just looking at the definition of Kabbalah Ol. And Mashiach says, take my yoke upon you. Right? So. What do we got here? Hmm. 
I totally thought I was going to find a Lakute Sikote drop, but uh, let's go over here to Safaria. Totally didn't help me out, y'all. That my little searches going through the the files here on uh, prep day. Prep day hooking me up. Okay, Kabbalah. Oh, Cold D. Author's notes twenty two. The formal act of Kabbalah Ol. Mitzvot. Hmm. Let's go on here and see what we got. If we know that a convert by his immersion is willing to accept the yoke of Torah and mitzvot, even though there was no formal notification of the mitzvah and formal acceptance by the commerce convert, the immersion will be legally sufficient because the convert intends to live the sacred life of a committed Jew. Immersion, according to this view, does not require the presence of a bait dean. Only Kabbalat Ol mitzvot must occur in its presence cold do dofek is where this is coming from citing maimonides hill coat ishure bia thirteen seventeen. here we go the fact that the acceptance of the obligation to perform mitzvot literally Kabbalat Ol Mitzvot is tied to the immersion, the mikvah, to vila mikvah, to tavel in a mikvah. By the way, that's a, that's the act of entering into the mikvah is to tavel. You tavel in a mikvah. So tavila mikvah is how you say immerse in a mikvah. So tavila mikvah is an integral part of the conversion process. And it is almost axiomatic as explained in Yevamot 47a through b and in Maimonides Hilkot Ishure Bia 1312 and 146 7. Rashi expresses this point explicitly. For now, by the act of immersion, he effectively converts. Hence, at the time of immersion, he must accept the commitment to observe the mitzvot. Literally, yoke of the mitzvot. However, Totafot Yevamo 45b says what? Kabbalat old mitzvot can occur before Tevila Mikvah. This is one of the things I've been saying before that many people get into this whole thing. Well, I'm not converted yet. I haven't done the mikvah. I haven't gone through the meeting with the Beidin. I haven't done all three classes yet at Sar Shalom. And I don't, I'm not a convert yet. And it's like, mm, Kabbalah, oh, mm, except in the Torah. Let me read to you from the book of our heritage, shall we? Shabbat's coming up, right? So one of the things we did, right? We said we shall do 
and we shall hear. Right? So, with that being the case, here's what that means. When Israel declared, we shall do before declaring, we shall hear, 600,000 ministering angels came to each and every one of the people of Israel and attached to him two crowns. One corresponding to we shall do and one corresponding to we shall hear. By the way, these are the crowns that we get to cast before Hashem. So if you don't do no we shall do and we shall hear stuff, you ain't gonna have no crowns to cast. Many people are all in the crown casting, but it's like they don't even take crowns. But anyway, uh, it says, and when Israel send one million two hundred thousand angels of destruction descended and removed them. More angels came and took stuff away than what we actually had or than who actually showed up to give us stuff with accepting the Torah. There's a lot that goes on here. It says Moshe brought back the nation or Moshe brought the nation's words back to Hashem. Shemot 19.8. Just as Moshe's words were addressed to them according to their level and understanding. So too were the responses of the people formulated according to their level and wisdom. There were as many words as there were people. For no two people thought in the same manner, even though they all use the same phrase, we shall do when they answered. The verse, therefore, specifies that Moshe brought back their words and not their word. There was a preparation to assume their destiny and accept responsibility for the entire world. This nation is sharing all of mankind's foibles and limitations and not as men who are enslaved by their physical needs and who are powerless to transcend them, but holy and that every physical action of yours is imbued with the holiness that is rooted in my own. Hashem is saying your holiness is rooted in my own. So therefore, every physical action of yours is imbued with holiness, just like the Shabbat causes your whole week to be holy. And the only reason the Shabbat can do that is because of Mashiach. And it says a kingdom of priests, two extremities in ruling society, the secular king and the religious priests. But mankind cannot exist unless both are active. And these are the general needs of mankind and are matched on the individual level as well. For you are to be a holy nation, a nation with the same physical needs as well as others, but holy nonetheless. Then it says that this is the Torah that I have come to give to you, and this is its purpose. He enlightened them, talking about Moshe, in the manner of a teacher who presents his lesson to his students and does not leave them until he is sure the lesson is understood. All difficulties have been resolved. All these words are all the facets of Torah and of human existence, which Hashem had commanded him is to be placed before all of them, whether they're scholars according to their level, novices according to theirs, men according to their understanding, women according to their understanding of their hearts. And another thing, because we're talking about accepting it, 
If you will hearken to my voice, which fills my entire world and observe my covenant, which I established between myself and all that I have created so that it never again be violated, then even if you are unable to immediately draw all of creation close to me as I have drawn you close to me, you shall be for me as representatives for all humanity. My own treasure from all nations, I will rejoice in you and will bestow my compassion upon my world in your merit. For all the earth is mine and I do not desire its destruction. We represent the whole entire world, people. Like us being Kabbalat old, get you sums. We're doing that. So by us accepting to do the will of Hashem, we're granted eternal life. We become partners with Hashem. It says, yeah, with the giving of Torah, Israel was restored to man's original state as partner in creation. That is the significance of Shabbat coming up. We get the opportunity to be restored to our original state as partners with Hashem in creation. And also that uh, it says in responding. Okay. So when Israel said, all God has said, we shall do responding like this. Israel to the mind of Moshe had already accepted the Torah and thus were returned to the state that man had been in before he sinned. Israel had now become perfect and whole. When they accepted their national destiny, and were returned to the status of man before sin. They would become children of Torah from when God descended onto the mountain, or if they chose so, they could assume this role earlier from the point when they fully accepted the Torah and the national mission which it ordained. They had chosen the latter path, and their previous count was nullified. God therefore agreed with them and accepted 51st day as the 50th and the 7th of Sivan as the 6th. That was getting into a whole discrepancy. Is it the 6th of Sivan or the 7th of Sivan? The answer is yes, because whether you counted 50 or 51 days depended on your status with the Shem. Because it was like, well, that means we would have had to start counting from the 17th of Nisan because there was a whole renewal thing going on. But, I mean, there's so much to get into with that. But that whole point was to say that, you know, we start counting the Omer on the night of the 16th of Nisan. And so there's this whole thing with Moshe said, three days, you know, we'll stay away from the, we'll keep everybody separate. Everybody needs to wash their garments and do all that because Hashem said to do so. And it was like that pushed uh, the day that the Torah was given back a day. And so it was like, really, it was on the 6th of Nisan, but it was actually on the 7th of Nisan, which would have meant 51 days if uh, the Torah is on the 7th of Nisan. So it's 51 days of Omer. And it's like, well, no, it's still 50. That literally is a small snippet. I mean, again, this is in Book of Our Heritage. They have a lot more in it. So, Bezar uh, Hashem, that didn't throw you off. But this is giving us a, a a hint at, you know, what are we, what, where are we, you know? 
And, and how do we accept this yoke of Hashem? Like, are we really about it or are we not? You know, um, so to get into where I really just kind of camped out with uh, Bommy, Boomy Bar, you know, and the PSI series, that we got to know our place. Because Parsha Bami Bar teaches us about our place, you know, that we have to fit into the tribes. And as our national destiny to represent the whole entire world, whether we're Jew or non-Jew, male or female, or Greek or slave or whatever, like we we have a job to do, and that is to bring forth the will of Hashem. So Pasikta de Rav Kahana 107a, why wasn't the Torah given in the land of Israel? So that the nations of the world should not have an excuse for saying, because it was given in Israel's land, we have not accepted it. Side note, there are people who are Torah observant who want to keep the nations from doing the Torah. So they want to give the nations an excuse. Nations, why didn't you keep the Torah? Well, because Jews told us that we didn't need to. They said, keep the Noahide laws, go be Christian. It's awesome. Yet Hashem was like, no, did I give the Torah in the land of Israel? No, I, I believe I gave it in a wilderness, a no man's land. So anybody who's willing to make themselves into a wilderness, those are the type of people I'm looking for. I'm not looking for people who are established and sophisticated and all these acronyms behind their names. And I'm not looking for people who their mother was Jewish. I'm not looking for people who grew up in Jewish households for real, who literally saw their mothers like the Shabbat candles every night and who did not go out to eat on Shabbat. You know, those kind of real Jews. And, uh, you know, I'm not looking for those kind of people. I'm looking for people who are willing to leave Egypt. I'm looking for people who are willing to transcend their physicality, their physical desires, and to understand that their physicality and their physical desires are actually to be used for holy purposes. I'm looking for those kind of people. Who can glorify me with the way that they eat? Who can glorify me with the way that they have intimate relations between husband and wife? Who can glorify me with sanctifying their weeks by keeping a day that is set apart? Who can sanctify me by the way that they dress? Covering up stuff that don't nobody need to be looking at. Who can glorify me with the way that they talk and treat other people? So, back to Pasikta, another reason to avoid causing God or causing dissension among the tribes, else one may have said in my territory the Torah was given. Therefore, the Torah was given in the desert publicly, openly, in a place belonging to nobody. To three things the Torah is likened, to desert, fire, and water. Just as these are free for all who come into the world, so literally if you're born, Torah is for you, so are the words of the Torah. Makilta de Rabbi Ishmael, Shemot uh, 20, verse 2, goes on, uh, from it was all that. Now Pasikta says, Why was the Torah given in the desert to teach you if a man does not hold himself 
as unpossessed of to teach that if a man does not hold himself as unpossessed as the desert he does not become worthy of the words of torah and that as the desert has no end so there is no end to the words of torah and last rabbi tonka truck what does he say he says this finding one's place in english the book of bami bar is called numbers a somewhat surprising translation given to bami bar which literally means in the desert however aside from this objection this choice makes perfect sense as the tribes the families the individuals are counted several times throughout the book most notably at the beginning going on down to another important another lesson in the importance of the individual in relation to the collective was conveyed by the last Lubavitcher Rebbe Menachem Mendel Schneerson who for years would remain standing every Yom Rishon for 8 to 10 hours in order to personally hand out dollar bills to thousands of his followers so handing out at least $10,000 every Yom Rishon okay that's ridiculous or at least thousands of dollars for about 8 to 10 hours we're going to we're going to spend $1,000 in 8 to 10 hours okay and while I'm spending this amount of money I'm going to be greeting individual Jews people who are individuals who are part of a collective basically so going on it says thousands of people from all over the world would come and wait in line for hours on end in order to be in the Rebbe's immediate presence for a few seconds why did the Rebbe do this he felt it to be of the utmost importance that he personally make contact with each of these people for even a moment teaching each one the importance of giving zadaka charity and offering each one his personal blessings despite the lengthy wait people came willingly and waited without complaint in truth throughout the ages there have been countless examples of Jewish spiritual leaders who acted in similar ways. This portion contains the secret of emotional and spiritual balance, finding one's inner equilibrium in the context of relating to one's family, society, and very planet as a whole. This portion contains the secret of emotional and spiritual balance like the opposite of fear and pandemonium and chaos and fear and control that's going on in the world right now this portion contains that of finding one's inner equilibrium in the context of how you relate to your family to your society and to your planet when we learn to function within all these contexts we will discover our place in the world and how to relate to our creator for ultimately he placed us here to make the world a better place and obviously, got to share the Kehert Humash 
Hasidic Insights. Uh, I believe it is chapter 3, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let's see. Um, where is this at? Flipping pages, or shall I say scrolling? As we have explained previously, this is uh, verse 3 of chapter 4, Hasidic Insights. The Jews were counted before their sojourn in the desert in order to give them the power to overcome spiritual challenges it posed. The, in this general counting, the laity was counted from age 20, the Levites from one month old. Now, the Levites between ages 30 through 50 were counted again, and the Levites were given the mission of carrying the tabernacle, its vessels, and the desert, this being the principal way they transformed the desert into a hospitable place. In order for these Levites to do this, they required a spiritual boost. Inasmuch as count, which is from the word naso, means to uplift, it was this census that provided them with the power to successfully and fearlessly accomplish their task. And then, what do we got here? Charge of the Levites. I believe it was in chapter 3. There it is. Nope, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. The Israelites shall camp. Here's our final point. Thank you all for being with me so far. The people's encampment on all four sides of the tabernacle was symbolized how they protect the holy edifice and the Torah that resided in its innermost sanctum. Certainly, the Torah does not need our protection. On the contrary, the Torah and its commandments protect us. However, God wishes to endow us with the noble mission of protecting the Torah. The lesson, okay, think about Kepha when he cut the ear off of that uh, person who t tried to take Mashiach in the garden. Mashiach was like, okay, thank you for protecting me, but I don't need that. It's not time for that. There will be times. Like when Lapid rises and we need to get rid of Amalek and bring in the final redemption. Yeah, now we need to do that. Now we need to start telling people his name is not Jesus Christ. There should not be Sunday uh, used as a Shabbat. We need to eat kosher. We need to make teshuva. We need to start returning to God and uh, dressing Zanut and, and doing all sorts of observance. You know, that kind of stuff. So... Avengers assemble is basically what that means. 
going on, it says the, the lesson in this is that we must guard our inner sanctuary, our inner identification with the Torah within our hearts and within our homes from all four sides, from the cool spiritual indifference on the cold North from the hot lustful passions on the warm South from the gratification from brilliant, brilliant accomplishment on the morning East and from the dark despair on the evening West. Again, this is Hasidic insights. Bami bar chapter two, verse two. And remember that if you're in the tribes, you're on one of these four sides. And we each have to know that as we've been people who've embraced the yoke of Torah, that we have a specific identity. We have a specific purpose that we're to be living out in our upholding and in our encampment around the Torah. So whether you're a Avenger, a Lepidnik, uh, a get you some, Lapid Nation, a Sparkon, whatever you want to call yourself, just know you have a specific identity, you have a specific path in Torah that you are called to be on post for. So everybody needs to be on their post. And you got to figure out what your post is because all of us from this point forward, I mean, obviously, hopefully we've been doing this already, but we just have to understand that you know, we're supposed to be operating in a hundred percent efficiency and what Hashem has created us to exist for and has created us whatever that purpose is. And we know what that purpose is and we need to do it. And it's really cool just thinking about the Avengers again, that each of us have a specific set of skills, a specific superpower set that Hashem has given us, specific abilities, specific talents. And there are things that I can do that you probably feel like you can't do. And there are things that you can do that I know I can't do. And that's, I'm working on being totally fine with that, you know. And uh, we have to do that for each other. But it's when we bring that all together and we unleash. So we need to let it go. Turn it loose. Uh, please source it. And uh, let's just go crazy. Let's just set the world on fire with Torah. So... If the world's supposed to be made new, the new heavens and the new earth is supposed to come by fire. Well, what is the true fire? It's Torah. So, may HaKadosh Baruch Hu give us the strength to spread the fire of Torah into the four corners of the world and bring about the new heavens and the new earth. Kili Shuateka Kiviti Hashem, Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai, please send Mashiach now. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-Torah.